0: Glad that you guys are with us. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 4 where we are going to continue with this morning. Uh, To remind a couple of things, one, I want to speak specifically to some of the things that you just saw in that video about Celebrate Recovery, a ministry that we have here at Willow Ridge Church. You know, one of the things that was said, and a lot was said in that video, but one of the things I want to take some time and emphasize this morning is all too often, even though you and I are found in Christ, we allow the sins, mistakes, regrets, decisions of our past to define who we are and not to define who we are in Christ. And one of the beauties that I love about our Celebrate Recovery ministry that we have here at Willow Ridge Church is it is a discipleship ministry looking to engage with men, women and families to help them realize who they are in Christ and then mobilize them to be used for his name and for his kingdom. And so our Celebrate Recovery ministry that meets here on Thursday night, as you're looking at life, as you're evaluating with where you are, if there was any part of that video that resonated in your soul, I want to encourage you to give our CR ministry, uh, a tribe. You can get more information about it at our welcome table after the service. And and I know um, sometimes it's easy and you kind of hear people from church are supposed to talk about ministries that are at the church. And so you're like, well, you're supposed to say all those things about CR. But I want to kind of explain to you my connection with CR. CR is a ministry that I've been familiar with for about 15 years now, both at Willow Ridge and the previous church that it was at. I've seen men and women and even students at our other church go through the process and what God used in their life to redeem them, to disciple them, and to use them for his kingdom. But not only have I seen the impact that it's had in individuals' lives, I've also walked through that process myself. Uh, Three years ago, the staff and I went through one of the CR step studies, and it was remarkable in my life to identify those hurts, habits, and hangups that were keeping me from the relationship with Christ that he desired for me. And because one time is never good enough, right, we just started back with our staff this Past week, going through another CR step study again, and already after week one, seeing tremendous things of how God is using that, not only in other people's lives, but in my life. And so if, if you are, are here and you would are interested in that, please stop by our welcome table, talk to us after the service. We would love to talk with you. I know we got some of our CR people in here. If they could be back there as well, they would love to answer any question that you have. Also, tonight, bowling forward to six o'clock, want to see every- everybody out there. hope that you can come have a wonderful time. Uh, we've got the entire bowling out. People keep asking me, all right, how much money do I need to bring? All right, you don't need to bring anything for bowling. We've got those wonderful shoes covered for you. We've got the lanes covered for you. You've got to leave the shoes. You can't take them with you, all right? We've got both of those things covered for you. You have to bring the, the money for the amount of food that you're going to eat, all right? And so if you want to load up on nachos and you want to load up on hot dogs and corn dogs and, and all the wonderful things that are there. I'm pretty sure it's all organic, clean eating, right? You you can dive into that and enjoy that, but would love to see everyone there. And then, kind of lastly, uh, this is selfish maybe for me, but kind of inform you guys on the journey that I'm on. Uh, as school started back this past week for so many of our teachers and students, and I've seen pictures of college students going off to school and, and all of those, I want to kind of update you guys on, on where I am in, in school right now. I, I finished this past year, uh, or this past summer, with my, with my second master's degree, and after uh, some long, long prayer time and really wrestling with the Lord, I uh, felt that God was calling me to start my doctoral program. and so I'll actually start that this week, starting tomorrow, Uh, my first class. uh, They're doing things different for me. I haven't been in a traditional class setting in a long time, but I'll get to start that this week uh, for at least for one week, Monday through Friday, from 8.30 in the morning to 5.30 in the evening. So pray for me, pray for Emma and Grayson, and pray for Aaron and all of her sanity as I get through this, all right? Uh, We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And then hopefully in three years, I will be done with this one, and then, as I have promised, my wife, my kids, and myself. No more school, right? No more school. I want to continue to learn, but no more school. Well, let's pray as we get started. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we could have to be here this morning, Lord, to open your word. Lord, I'm so grateful for all of the visitors that we have here with us today. Lord, we are just reminded of the blessings that you give us, Lord, as we sit here right now and as we hear the rain uh, that is hitting the roof of our building, we're reminded that we are dry and comfortable on the inside, Lord, but we are also reminded of those so many who do not experience that same thing today. So, Lord, we, we continue to pray. That you be with our brothers and sisters in Haiti and all that is going on and taking place there, Lord, from all of the unrest to the natural disasters, Lord, we pray that you would work in a powerful way in that country. Lord, pray that you would continue to work through Disciples Village and, and all who were there and who were ministering and caring for those people. Lord, we also we we can't go farther without thinking about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Lord, we pray for them this morning. We pray for their strength to continue to meet. We pray for their boldness to continue to share. Lord, and we just ask you and we, we, we beg of you to, to, to put a protection around them, Lord, to keep them safe. Lord, we're reminded of the vast lostness that invades that country and invades so many places all over the world. Lord, we're reminded that those who live and function and gain power through means and acts of terror, that diplomacy is not what they need that as great as democracy is for us to experience, that that's not what's going to change them. Lord, and what we pray for and what we ask is for their hearts to be changed through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray for revival to take place in that country. We pray for salvation to be found for your name and for your glory. Lord, it is what you did in the life of Paul and what you did in the life of us could you do in the people all over this world, Lord, who don't know you? Or maybe, the, may, Lord, may those who share continue to find the boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, regardless of what circumstances they face. And Lord, we know that our reward is not here, but our reward is you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in just a moment, we're going to start reading in in verse 7, but before we get there, I want to kind of recap as we're talking about family reunion, our vision and mission of who we are as a church. Our vision, this is who we are. We are one family, one ministry, one calling, built around the concept of one, the unity within the body of Christ, that we are one in Him, that there's the sense of equality, there's equality in mission, there's equality in purpose, there's the unity within the body, that this is who we are as Willow Ridge Church. But not only that, but our mission, what we do, what we're about, what we want you to experience and be a part, what we want all of us is engaging, equipping, and sending people to make known the truth of the gospel. We're not a a social club. We're not here as a babysitting service. We're not here to entertain. What we are here to do is to engage with one another through relationships, to equip one another through discipleship, and then to mobilize Each and every one of us that you and I know and that we understand that we are sent to make disciples. So, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play, that is the purpose of your life that we are sending you and I to make known the truth of the gospel. And so, last week when we began in Ephesians 4, what we're doing over these weeks in this series is looking at this chapter and understanding the oneness in Christ, the unity that's there, and that's who he has called us to be. So so last week, kind of a real quick 30-second recap. Last week, we talked about the fact that all of us as Christians are called to live a life that is reflective of the saving relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. So Paul says, walk in a manner worthy. So let that be who you are. Let that be what you do. Let that be the words that come from your mouth. Walk in a manner worthy. We're not earning our salvation, but reflective of that. And, And here's Where the the tension comes at the church at Ephesus and the tension comes at every church since then is that you and I, we don't get to do this independently. So God doesn't save us, pull us, isolate us, put us on an island and say, all right, buddy, it's you and me for the rest of the time. That's not how He rolls. That's not what He does. That's not what we're called to. Instead, He says, no, 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 here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna do this collectively, you're gonna do this as a body together. And so what we see in the Old Testament, it's God's people in Israel. And what we see in the New Testament, it's the church. And that's where we find ourselves, that you and I, a relationship with Jesus, is not you and him. We've gotta be careful when we talk about personal relationship with Christ doesn't mean me and him and I don't need you and I'm good. What it means is that I have a relationship with Jesus that is centered on him, but that you and I live in biblical community. I hear a phrase oftentimes, and I love this phrase, but I want to dive into it a little bit that says that we are better together. And that is true, as the body of Christ, we are and we're intended to be together, but only when the body is living for the glory of God and the growth of one another. And that's what we do. It's the, it's the vertical and horizontal relationships that we have here, that I and you, we are living for the glory of God. So everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I think, everything that I am, it is for the glory of God. It's why God saves us. It's why God calls us. It's why God sends us for his glory. But then we work together for the growth of one another. And that's what we're going to dive into today, because we are some messy Messy people, all of us, me included, probably more so than any of you, right? So let's look at this, starting in verse 7. Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body whole body joined and held together by every joint which is it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow that it builds itself up in love. So there's four things that I want us to kind of draw from this about who you and I are in the unity of the body, who we are in Christ, and who we are in the body of Christ. And so number one, this is going to be our encouraging piece of, of, of where we're at, all right? Number one, you are gifted in Christ. Every single one of you, if you are saved, you are gifted in Christ, all right? So let's look back, verse seven through 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into lower regions the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So it's what Christ, who he is, and then what he has done. And what he has done for each and every one of us. Now, when you look back at at, at verse seven, jump jump back to that real quick, I wanna give some clarity about what verse seven is, is talking about. Verse 7 says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so here, when we hear grace, what you and I think of is the grace of God that saves us. That grace is given to us while we were sinners, grace that we did not deserve. We deserve punishment, we deserve wrath, but instead what we get is salvation and forgiveness in God through Christ alone. And when we hear grace and we think of that, most of the time you and I are absolutely correct. The problem is that's not what Paul is talking about in that grace. And so I want to explain what, what, what Paul is, is talking about. You know, sometimes even in the English language that we have a word that is spelled the same, it looks the same, but means different things, right? Like, like I'm, I'm a sports guy, and so I'll, I'll use this illustration. When, I, when I'm talking about sports and I say, you know, when I was growing up, I played, I was a pitcher, And you hear that, and even if you don't know baseball, no one thinks that I was a vessel that held water that got poured out, right? You hear the word pitcher and you know what that means. You are the guy that stood on the mound, that grabbed the baseball and threw it at the catcher and tried to get it by the batter. But when we look at the word pitcher, For us in the English language, it means different things. A pitcher that you can pour into your glass to drink from or a pitcher in baseball. Well, grace here is kind of the same thing. What what theologians refer to is that there is saving grace and there's equipping grace. And the equipping grace is what Paul is talking about here. Because he goes on to say that each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. So here's what this means that that you and I are are, are gifted. That we're all gifted. But then the beauty, and we're going to see this in our diversity here in a little bit, that we are gifted differently. And we are gifted by measure as Christ deems fit. So that all of us in the body of Christ, we all have a gift. The beauty of it is all of those gifts are different. And then even within that, it's not that you and I had to work and earn and try to figure it out. It's that God in his sovereignty, God in his power, God in his plan says, I'm gonna give, Frank, I'm gonna give you this gift. And this is who you're gonna be in your gift. And then Alan, I'm gonna give you this gift. And that's who you're gonna be in this gift. And Corrine, I'm gonna give you this gift. And this is who you're gonna be because I'm God and I'm sovereign. And this is what I do. And so, your giftedness is not even found in you. It's not found in me, but it's found in Him. And this is what He does. And so, the application of this when we begin to think about it is this you and I in the body of Christ are not accidents. We're purposed, we're appointed, we're chosen, we're given in God's grace through the grace gifts that he gives us to then function and live in the body so that all and I have a purpose we find our value within the context of the body and God's looking to use every single one of us and so within this what we know is that when the body is functioning healthy that you and I if you were found in Christ you've got to be a contributor You've got to be a contributor to the body. This is what God gifted you to be. This is what he called you in Christ to be. This is what he's done for you. This is why he's placed you here. And this is why it's so important that we all can kind of begin to to understand the body that we're connected to. I I read a statistic this week, just kind of heard it in passing, and they were polling uh, uh, my generation, my generation, all right? So I believe it was like 30 to 45, I'm, I'm 42, kind of getting to the other end of that, right? And it was, it, it, they, were, they, they, they were polling uh, my generation and, and they asked them this question. They, they said, uh, how many churches do you belong to? And over 75%, 75% of them began to say multiple churches that they felt that they were a part of in different bodies. And then within there, what are you contributing to that body? And of that 75, it was almost 0% of them, right? But so for us, what we find of who we are, we, we, we feel called to the body. God places us there, and then we contribute into that, that body because we have been gifted in Christ. But then the next thing I want us to see in this is that we're still a work in progress. Right, You and I, we are a work in progress. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So verse 11, what Paul does is he comes in and says this. Now, we just read a bunch of titles. Some of those titles were, were, were known to the church then and not known to the church today. Some of them overlap and are continue to be consistent. And some of those we've brought in other titles in the church as well. But what I want you to get is not hung up on the titles, all right? But to think through what Paul is establishing are the different layers and responsibilities of the leadership of the church, all right? So he says, look, verse 11, here's the leader's. And then, verse 12, here's what they're to do to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so, I, the leadership, who we are, we are called to equip the body for the ministry of the work. Now, this word equip is fascinating, right? And I'm so sorry if you're not a word person. We got a lot of word things that we're gonna kind of work through today. This word equip carries with it three things. Number one, this word equip means that you need to fix what is broken. Fix what is broken. It carries with it to, to supply what is needed. And then lastly, to prepare for what needs to be done in the future. So when Paul comes in and and he says that the leadership of the church is called to equip the saints, there's a process that the leadership that all of us are supposed to be going through in this so that you and I understand that we aren't perfect, we haven't arrived, but we're in a process that we are all gifted in Christ, but there's still some work that needs to be done. I read a guy this week who used this illustration, and I I loved it. He used the illustration of equipping the body of Christ for the work of ministry by talking about a bone that had been broken. And he said he gave this illustration, when a bone is severely broken, number one, the bone must be set. And when we look at this in the body of Christ, what we see is that sin broke us, We are found new and restored in Christ, but we're still walking through that brokenness. We're still walking through that pain. We're still walking through that journey. And so what we take is broken and we set it and we get it back in place. But if you've ever had a bone that needs to be set, you know it doesn't get set and then you walk right out, right? There's still a process that needs to to happen. That once the bone is set, the bone must be supported with a cast, that it needs to be supplied what is lacking, the structure and the support around it, so that the bone that is now supported, the bone that has been set back in place, can now grow and can now heal. And if you've ever broken a bone and had a cast... I remember when I was in fourth grade, fifth grade, summer going into, uh, somewhere after my fifth grade year, I broke my wrist. And I thought it was so cool. I was gonna get a cast. And I went down and I got a cast. And this was before like you got like different color cast, right? And this was before you got the cast that could somewhat get wet. This is where you got that like white cast that was white for about three minutes. And then it just started to turn brown and smell like Funyuns, right? Like like y'all remember that, what I'm talking about, right? And that's what I got. And for like the first day, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. School was like the last week of school and everybody was like writing their names and some people write some other stuff on them. You got to scratch it out, right? And that's what you're doing with your cast. And then after like a couple of days, you're like, when do I get this thing off? When my, my, my arm's starting to itch, I'm ready to move my hand again. When can I get this thing off? And so for us, when we think about this, not only does the bone need to be set and be put back in place, not only does the bone need to be supported with a cast so that it can grow and it can heal, but the bone must be released so that it can do what it was created and was called to do. And so that for those of us in in leadership, For those of us in leadership of the church, for for all of us, the process that we go through in equipping is to fix what was broken, supply what is lacking, and then release to do and to serve in the way that God has called us to do. And this is my job. And this is our job as the leaders of the church. Regardless of what our title is, regardless of what we think we're here to do, Paul says, No, 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 let's look at this. Verse 11, pastors, teachers, leaders, this is what you're to do to equip the saints to minister to the body, to do the ministry, right? So here's the thing as we talk about the fullness of what you should come here and do, you should contribute, yes, but there's a piece also of you that you should just consume. That you need to come and be poured into. That you need to come and have others invest in. That you need to come and have people speak difficult things into your life of where you are and what you're going through. That you need to have a point in time. You need to have built-in areas of your life where you recognize that you're a dried-up sponge that needs to have someone pouring into. And so we consume as well. And the problem so oftentimes where the church gets out of balance is we've got the people who consume and the people who contribute. And they're two different groups. And what scripture points us to, what Paul points to the healthiness in the body is this. It's when you consume, it's when you're equipped, it's when others are pouring into you. And then as a result of being poured into you, you pour into others. And so we're the vessel that keeps getting poured and poured and poured, so then it pours out. And when this happens, Paul says, when this happens, this is when the building up of the body exists. In church, I've been, we've seen, we've experienced when the body of Christ is the strongest, when the body of Christ is the most effective, When the body of Christ is seeing men, women, and children's lives transformed by the sake of the gospel, it's not because one person standing in the group of masses says, I'm going to do it all. It's when the body, through their giftedness of who God has called them to be, joins arms, joins hands, and says, no, we're marching toward this together in unity, leaning in and pressing on to one another for the glory of God, for the betterment of each other, and the building up is what begins to take place. And then Paul begins to describe when this is what the body does, when you and I realize that we're gifted, when you and I realize that, that we're a work in progress with things that we still need to pursue and look at and do to have others pour into us, and this is when we begin to see the unity start to form and take place. And so what we're going to see, the, the, the third thing we want to talk about this morning is diversity that matures into unity. Diversity that matures into unity. Look at verse 13 and 14. This goes on, Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So what Paul says is that our measure, right, like what we're, what we're comparing ourselves to, the standard that we look at, right, isn't a pastor not a small group leader, not a ministry leader, not some TV celebrity, right, preacher celebrity, but what we're setting our standard to of what we want to become, of what we want to look like is Christ. So he's where where, where we press to. But within this, we're, we're aiming in a goal amongst each other, which is unity of faith and unity of knowledge. Now, the beautiful aspect of the church one of the things that I absolutely love about our church and other churches God's given me the opportunity to be a part of, the, what I love the most about going on mission trips and, and being a part of is seeing the diversity of the body of Christ. I, I tell people all the time, if you've never been on a mission trip, overseas mission trip, If you've never been on an overseas mission trip, go on one, if nothing else, than for the opportunity to worship with a group of people who don't look like you, don't act like you, who come from a different culture than you. And to take and to go and to experience that and everything that that's a part of, to go and let that be who you are and you begin to experience the diversity. But also, diversity can create complications within there. And I'm not talking about one area of diversity. I'm looking out at this crowd and I don't know how many different individuals we have, but the biggest difficulty to the unity of the body is not found in in, in the difference between cultures or or races or language or socioeconomic. It's found individually between us, right? I'd like to say that in in everything that my wife and I do, there's, there's, there's full unity, right? we're always on the same page. We never have disagreements. I never say things that I have to say I'm sorry for, right? You know that's not true, right? As you know me and you know Aaron, right? You know who we are. The conflict in our marriage is the individuality that exists between me and her. That I want to do what I want to do and she wants to do what she wants to do. And that's where the conflict comes. And there's great diversity in that. There's a beauty that she brings, but we have to work through that. And Paul says that as we work through our own individual experiences, as we grow and mature in Christ, what we can find is the unity of faith and the unity of of knowledge. But the body is filled with individuals with different pasts, different perspectives, different insights that has been and shaped their individual experience. Let me give you an example of this. Um. If you ask me to think about the fondest days that I had in school growing up, kindergarten through, through college, the, the best time that I can think of was the three years that was middle school. I loved middle school. Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade were absolutely the best three years of my school experience. Now, if you ask my mom, it was the most painful three years of my school experience, right? But for me, I absolutely loved every minute of it. I had a great group of friends. I had a great group of teachers. I, I was, I thrived in, in my activities and the things that I was a part of. I absolutely love middle school. So for all the middle school teachers who are out there, when you talk to me, like, I'm going to encourage you because I absolutely loved my middle school experience, but sit down and talk with someone whose middle school experience was different because as much as I thrived in mine, as much as I loved my peer group, as much as my activities were built and wired for me and my my teachers were wonderful, there's another group of people that walked into the sixth grade and for the next three years, it was the worst experience of their life. Their teachers and them didn't line up. Their activities, they couldn't find themselves and hit their, hit their groove. And because I know that that middle schoolers, just like the rest of us, right? Like they're not different. They're a picture of who we are. Can be harsh sometimes. And so there's bullying. There's talking down and all of these things that begin to happen. But you take two different people who went to the exact same place but walked away with two different experiences. And here's where I'm getting to with this. If we're not careful when we talk about the unity of faith and the unity of knowledge, of what Paul's pointing us to, if we're not careful, you and I can allow our personal experiences... We can allow the things that we've experienced and seen and tasted in life to influence how we see, understand, believe, and apply the truth of God's word, right? But biblical truth is truth regardless of my experience or yours, and that's what we have to come to. That's what Paul's pointing to. All right, let me give you a couple examples about how your experiences can influence the biblical truth that God has pointed us to and called us to. Uh, the, the first one, forgiveness. Have you ever forgiven someone in your life? Have you ever forgiven someone? I hope so, absolutely yes, right? We've all forgiven people. Have you ever forgiven someone, though, for them to turn around and do the exact same thing to you again? And then to turn around and do the exact same thing to you again. And you keep forgiving them and forgiving them and forgiving them. And then one day you hit the point where I'm done. I'm going to replace my forgiveness with bitterness and we're going to roll with that. How about that? And that's where we are. And so our experience then of forgiveness is one that's associated with hurt and with pain. And so then we come into church and we hear about God's forgiveness We hear how God calls us to forgive others, and we go, whoa, 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 God, I don't know that I can do that because I need to apply my experience to your truth. And so what happens within there, sinfully within us, because we've been hurt in forgiveness, right? We can't forgive others the way Jesus has called us to, which is sacrificially, which is painfully, which is over and over again. Right, so it affects the relationship of the way God's called us to forgive others, but it's also in a relationship with him creates so much conflict. One of the things that I sit down and I talk with the most people about is they struggle with their faith is this, that people who struggle with with the reality that God would forgive them over and over and over again, right? Because they've been hurt. And I hear statements so many times, like as many times as I've hurt God, I cannot believe that God would forgive me and that God would find value. So see, we allow our individual experience to pull us away from God's truth. The second thing I want to talk about is grace. And I do want to talk about saving grace on this one. One of the things that that so many of us, if not all of us, were brought into with a mindset is this. If you want something, go and earn it. If you're down, don't wait on anybody else. Pull yourself back up. Work harder than anyone else. Don't take what was handed to you. Go out and get yours. Be a contributing member of society. Make sure that you're pressing too. Go get what you earn. Go get what you deserve. But then God looks at us and says, nope, grace. 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 And what we do within that is we go, whoa, 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 but wait a minute, there is these areas that I've got to earn it though, right? There's these areas that I've I've got to achieve this, that I've got to work through this, right? Because I've been ingrained with that my entire life. We take an American work ethic and we impose it on a biblical Christianity in the context of grace and it doesn't fit because we don't get what we deserve. We don't get what we've earned. Instead, God gives us his Grace. And then he says this, you haven't earned the grace, but you respond to it. You respond to God's grace, and so go, so go. And so what Paul is saying to his church, and this is at the church at Ephesus, and this is so important for us, is as we go through, as we live in the midst of our diversity, of our different experiences, of our different pasts, that we continue to build one another up so that we gain utmost of all things, the unity of faith and the unity of knowledge of trusting and leaning in of God's word and that this is what it says and so this is what I hold to and this is what I cling to. And so as we move to our last point, I want to say this, all right? So the Bible is no longer this is what it means to me. But the Bible is now this is what it means and I seek to strive to understand. I seek to strive to obey, right? Right? We can take the truth and we can apply it, but we fight for the understanding of the meaning, the unity of faith, the unity of knowledge. And then the last thing, the point that you and I oftentimes as Christians like to take and manipulate is truth and love. Read Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Paul says, rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, if you and I are going to function and you and I are going to live this way, you and I are going to be the body of Christ, and he gives us the the imagery and, and, and the picture of a body, right? That, that the hand is, 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 is there for, for a point and for a purpose and then it's used in a way to, to encourage and, and, and to strengthen and to build the arm and the, and the leg and the heart and the lungs and the ears and the eyes and that every part, part of the body serves a purpose and it's all held together and that this grows and it matures and it strengthens as we pour into one another and then it's done in, 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 these, in these three words that, that Paul says and we're gonna talk about what this means really quickly. He says it, this happens through, through speaking truth and love through speaking truth truth and love. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? When someone says, I'm going to have a conversation, i got a difficult conversation, I need to to speak some truth and love to someone. I've said that. I've had somebody sit across the table from me and say, hey, but you know what I need to do? I need to graciously and kindly speak some truth to you in love. What does that mean? For a long time, I've defined this Incorrectly. I've defined this in my life incorrectly. And I think most of us as Christians define this and apply this incorrectly. And so here's the the incorrect definition that we so oftentimes see, hard facts with grace. Hard facts as we see them with grace, an incorrect way. Now I'm not saying it's not beneficial sometimes, right? I'm gonna give you an example of one in just a second with myself as the object of the humiliation, right? But this isn't what Paul's talking about. It's not hard facts with grace. It's not what he's pointing us to. Hard facts with grace means this. A few years ago, um, I've got someone that's very close in my life that, 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 that hammers me home with truth sees areas of my life that I either see and, and choose to ignore <laughs> or that I don't see. Most of the times, I'll be honest with you, I see them and I ignore them, right? And, and sat down with me, and, and, and this individual looked at me and said, um, I mean, you know I love you, right? And anytime anyone says that to you, right, what's about to happen is going to hurt, right? No one says, you know I love you, right? Here's the keys to a new truck. That, that doesn't happen, right? He says, you know I love you, right? And I said, Yeah kind of hold on for the moment, and said, you're getting kind of big. Y'all can laugh at me, right? I'm, I'm good with it, right? You're getting kind of big. You know, I, I see kind of your, your eating plan and all those things that, that you need to do, and you see all the things that need to take place in your life, and I, I just, man, I love you, I care about you, and I, and I need to speak into that. And, and I want to be honest with you, it was a game changer for me. And so many times, though, as Christians, we take this and and we say, this is what this means, and then we cap it. That's it. It's speaking hard facts about what I've observed, I've experienced. Now, I want to say, there's benefits from that as I started exercising and eating a little bit differently, right? If McDonald's would shut down, I'd probably be 175 right now, okay? But I'm not, because those golden arches just call me to it, all right? All right? But I needed it. And it was good for me. But that's not what this passage is talking about. But that's what you and I only live at oftentimes. I'm gonna go speak some hard facts with grace. I love you, but. So here's what truth and love means. Biblical truth from love. I'm gonna speak not my truth. I'm gonna speak not my experience. I'm gonna speak maybe not even my opinion but I'm gonna speak God's truth into your life and it's gonna hurt you, but I love you, but even more importantly, I love him, so that's where it's coming from. Because I love him, this is where this lies. And just earlier, Paul said that Jesus is our example in all this of maturity, so let's look at a time where Jesus did this. In Mark 10, starting in verse 17, It says, and he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? so this is Jesus. And we see what we know as the rich young ruler comes running up to him, and I love his question. It's a good question. It's a great question. "'Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?' He doesn't say, "'What must I do to earn? "'What must I do to obtain?' He says, "'What must I do to inherit?' "'I need this given to me. "'It's not of me. "'It's not from me. "'Jesus, how do I get this eternal life? "'How do I inherit it?' "'And Jesus said to him, "'Why do you call me good?' No one is good except God alone. By the way, Jesus is saying right here in this moment, I'm God. If you call me good and you know that only God alone is good, then you know you're talking about that you're talking to God and he doesn't argue with him. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he, the, the rich young ruler, said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, here's where the friction's gonna come. I've done it all. I've earned it. This is what I deserve now. And then verse 21. I love these first words. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Let's pause right there for a second. Jesus didn't say, or didn't within his heart, And Jesus, looking at him, thought, what a prideful individual. Jesus didn't look at him and say, what an idiot. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He didn't rebuke him. He loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. One thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven come and follow me. Just like it's about who you are. There's gotta be some surrender. There's gotta be a breaking of, of the old and Jesus looking at him in love speaks the truth to him. The truth did Jesus speak. Jesus didn't speak the truth of the custom. Jesus didn't speak the truth of the culture. Jesus spoke the truth of God's word into the individual that needed to hear it. And it says, verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Church, I'm gonna close on this. Truth in love is not your or my perspective. Truth in love is not your or my experience. It's not our opinion. Truth in love is the truth of God's word, spoken from a life that seeks God's glory, and your good, and my good. And that's what it looks like, and that's what it is. You know, as we go, and as we interact, and as we live with one another, I'm not saying that we don't learn from each other's experience, we do, but our experience is not the authority of our life. God is. Your truth is not the truth of this world. My truth is not the truth of this world. God's truth is the truth of this world. If I have to hear one more person who claims to be Christian that says the only thing that matters is your truth, I'm gonna vomit. Because my truth is limited to me, but God's truth overcomes it all. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for who you are and for what you've done. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have in you and in you alone. Lord, I pray that as we go from here, Lord, that as we seek to glorify you, Lord, that as we seek to surrender our life to all that you are and all that you've called us to be, Lord, would it be done for your name and for your renown? Lord, I pray for unity amongst the body, unity, that, Lord, that brings us together and that builds us. Lord, may what the truth that we speak from not be from only our experience, but may it be from our experience found in you. May it be from your truth of who you are, of who you've called us to be, of what you've laid out before us. Lord, and in that we pursue for the hope of all that you are and all that you have for us. Church, just a moment. With every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to respond to him through worship. May we respond in the beautiful knowledge and faith of Christ. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. It's your name, we pray.